Hello, I'm Matt, and this is Ghostthropology. The show will feature ghost folklore, which includes both well-known stories and small personal encounters, all ultimately unverifiable, but all presented by people as true. I will tell you the story, after which I will discuss the elements of the story that I think are particularly interesting. While I don't know when, where, or how you were listening to this, I hope it's dark outside, as that is the best time for ghost stories. Episode 5. The Tales That Made Me Horror and supernatural fiction have always been very hit or miss for me. While I find the 1980 haunted house film The Changeling wonderfully creepy, and I greatly enjoy the haunted submarine film Below, most ghost story films and books leave me cold. And it's no wonder I grew up around people who would tell stories, stories about what had happened to them. These stories were often genuinely creepy, and were all the more chilling for being presented as true. Plus, there's no special effects budget that can compete with the imagination of a kid being told dark stories on a darker night. And so, while I've always been lukewarm on supernatural horror fiction, I've loved hearing people tell their own scary stories for as long as I can remember. In this episode, I'd like to share my own childhood encounters with this sort of folklore. The first story I would like to share is one of the earliest ones that I can remember. It has to do with a small church in my hometown, Salida, California. Salida is not technically a town or a city, having no city government, but rather is a census-designated area in Stanislaus County. Salida today is the size of a small city, with a population just north of 13,000 people, as per the 2010 census. No doubt larger now. But when I was a kid, it was much, much smaller, and pretty much only consisted of the main street, named Broadway Avenue, and a few small neighborhoods that extended out from there. You could, and we frequently did, walk across the town in less than 20 minutes. The entire town was surrounded by nut and fruit orchards, which were beautiful during the spring bloom, but became creepy and gnarled nightmares when the leaves fell in the fall. Halloween was excellent in my hometown. At the corner of Finney and Westwood in Slida, near where the main street, Broadway, ended at Finney, there once stood a church. The location is now a parking lot and a large warehouse building for the elementary school. But when I was a kid, there was an old church on that lot. I don't know the age of the church, and for the purpose of this story, it really doesn't matter. But it sat next to the school at the end of the town's main street, which suggests that it was fairly old, possibly dating to the early development of the town. The once cheerful white paint was now peeling and gray. The grass was patchy and sick-looking. The interior lights were rarely seen turned on, although, as it was next to our school, we had little reason to see it on Sundays when one would expect the lights to be turned on. The church was surrounded by a grove of trees that, like the trees in the surrounding orchards, shed their leaves in the fall and looked like gnarled claws on trunks. Even though the trees blossomed and were quite beautiful in the spring, that was not the image that stayed with us kids. (laughs) No. We always thought of the church as being surrounded by evil, leafless, clawed trees. Trees that were more creature than plant and malicious to the root. We kids knew that the church was haunted. Some thought it was a satanic church. Others that it was a church that had been abandoned and then taken over by an evil cult. It was the 70s and 80s after all. Fear of cults was strangely common. Others believed that it was a Christian church, 
but had been built and pastored by an evil clergyman who was more interested in his own power than in religion. We were too young to understand or articulate it, but even as children we were aware of the corrupting nature of power, and it showed in many of the stories that we told each other. Our parents would assure us, usually while rolling their eyes, that the church was simply a building that had fallen into disrepair. But we knew better. We knew there was something wrong, evil, and corrupt lurking there. The symptoms of the haunting, as far as my sisters and I ever felt them, were the vague sense of unease when walking by and the occasional sense of being watched when near it. When one of us was feeling particularly brave, we might run up and touch the building, ensuring us both bragging rights and the usually brief admiration of our siblings. Other kids told tales they had heard, all of them secondhand, of course, of sinister things inside the church. There were supposedly satanic symbols near the altar, as well as a painting of Satan that would kill anyone unwise to stare at it for more than one minute. Some stories said that the painting would leave the wall and float around the building of its own accord. Of course, nobody ever entered the building to find out if these tales were true. No doubt we would have said to do such a thing was foolish, suicidal even. But the truth is that whether or not the stories we heard could ever be confirmed was really quite beside the point. The stories existed, and we told them. And that was what mattered. Commentary This story was part of our childhood folklore, and, as I said, whether or not it was true was not really relevant. We were frightened by the presence of a haunted building, yes, but we were also thrilled by it. None of us ever looked for any evidence of the story. We never tried to get inside the church, we never inquired with people to find out if the church was still in use, and we never dared challenge the authority of someone who had come up with a new detail to the story, even if that detail contradicted ones that we already knew to be true. Whether or not it was true was really totally beside the point. Walking close enough to touch the church was a test of bravery, and trading stories about the church was a favorite pastime. When I was around 11 or 12, the church was renovated. The trees and lawn were tamed by gardeners. The old dingy paint was replaced with fresh coat, and the doors were often left open on warm days, allowing us to see inside. I don't know whether the church had ever actually been abandoned before this renovation, but afterwards it became a busy spot. It served as a polling place during elections, hosted community meetings, and generally shed its mystique. I never knew the pastor well. The church reopened well after my church-going days had ended, but I did know him in passing, and he always seemed to be a decent fellow and someone who was at least as concerned about his community as he was about his church. I don't know when the church was finally abandoned for good and torn down. It occurred sometime after the mid-1990s, after I had left Salida to go to the university. By that time, it was no longer a terrifying edifice that harbored menacing spirits. It had become a part of the community, but the sense of grim wonder from my childhood sticks with me to this day. The second story that I want to share was told to us by the woman who lived across the street from the house I grew up in. She was, like many people in the area, descended from a group of highly religious Dutch settlers who'd arrived in the late 19th century, and whose descendants were centered in Ripon, a small town across the Stanislaus River from us. So, while she was born in California sometime in the 1950s, she and her family were quite keen to let you know that they were, in fact, Dutch. 
The religious and socially conservative nature of this population stands in stark contrast to the direction that their homeland would go during the 20th century, but that is another story for another podcast. She told us a number of creepy stories, some of which I am saving for future episodes, but one of my favorites that was quite short and is easy to summarize. She told us the following. When I lived in Ripon, I had a neighbor who lived in a haunted house. We would be out in the yard and see a shape that looked like a child, but without any features, like a shadow, but not dark. It would run into the space between the houses. When we would go to take a look, there was nobody and nothing there. Sometimes we'd hear kids playing when there was nobody around. One night, my neighbor opened up a closet that had been closed ever since she bought the house. Inside the closet, she found a box, and inside the box was a small dress, like the kind a very young girl would wear. As soon as she saw the dress, she was frightened, but didn't know how to react or even why she was frightened. When her husband came home from work, they talked about it and about the childlike figure that they had seen around the house. They both became more and more frightened as the evening went on. Finally, they decided to burn the dress. They started a fire in their fireplace and threw the dress in. As soon as the dress hit the flames, they heard a baby crying, and the crying continued until the dress was completely gone. Commentary As I have said, my neighbor loved to spin ghost stories for us, mostly because she seemed to like entertaining children, but also partially because ghost stories seemed to reinforce her particular religious view of the world. As a kid, I bought this story, and I asked her to tell it many times. However, as I got older, the inconsistencies started to bug me, and I saw the stories of the neighbor for what they were, fun entertainments told by a genuinely warm and caring person who simply wanted to provide the children with a fun and safe environment. They were stories, not factual accounts. I still love her stories. She told me the most memorable version of a common Ouija board urban legend that I've ever heard, which will be the topic of a future episode. And I also have very fond memories of her as a neighbor, so in the end, her stories have done her credit, and I think she'd be happy to know that. The final story for tonight comes from my own family. After my great-grandfather's death, many of my family members reported hearing strange sounds in my grandparents' house. They would hear doors open and close, and the sounds of footsteps walking around at night. Whenever anyone would ask my grandfather what the sound was, he'd say, That's just my dad coming to check up on us. The house was built in the 1940s from a kit purchase, I believe, from Sears and Roebuck. My grandparents' neighborhood was filled with houses that did not match each other, each being custom-built in the years immediately following the Second World War. Contrary to what one may think when they hear of custom-built homes now, these were all modest affairs, many of them built by the residents rather than professional firms, and the neighborhood was far from wealthy. Sears and Roebuck probably did good business selling kits to this neighborhood. The flooring, though sturdy, was squeaky. You could not only clearly recognize the sound of footsteps, but you could also accurately determine where in the house they were coming from by sound alone. So, when you heard someone in a room that you knew was unoccupied, it was disconcerting. Although my family tried to explain it away with descriptions of the house settling, none of them were ever happy with their own descriptions. Twenty-four years ago, in my last few months of living in Stanislaus County before heading to the university in Santa Cruz, my grandfather died. After this happened, family members tell me that the mysterious sounds and unusual happenings at the house stopped, 
Apparently, my great-grandfather had moved on. However, my father started hearing the sounds of opening and closing doors along with footsteps in his house at night. Perhaps it's the fate of the men in my family that we get to spend eternity looking after the housekeeping habits of our male descendants. If that's the case, I get the last laugh. I have a daughter and not a son, so I may be spared having to look after my child's house after my death. I should probably encourage good cleaning habits in her just in case, though. Commentary I've heard this story from numerous family members for many years. My father, my aunts and uncles, my sisters, and my cousins. Myself, I never heard nor saw anything unusual in either my grandfather's or my father's house, so I cannot confirm any of the story. I will say that, as a child, when spending the night at my grandparents' house, I would often feel mildly creeped out, but I was also a child given to homesickness, so that really wasn't unusual for me no matter where I was staying. What is interesting to me, however, is that the ghost, if indeed that's what it is, doesn't seem to be viewed with fear or suspicion by the family, but simply as a manifestation of a deceased relative's concern. This is especially interesting as some of the family members who were quite comfortable with the presence of this ghost have commented that other alleged hauntings were not the work of dead humans, but of demons and other diabolical forces. However, when questioned about their own experiences, they opt for the more comforting answer. This ability to break one's own rules regarding the nature of the bump in the night is one of the aspects of ghost stories that I find fascinating. Examples include when someone is convinced that the supernatural thing in question is obviously a demon when found in someone else's home, but is actually only a friendly family member found in their own home. Another example is the ability to decide that something that would be non-evidence for someone else is clearly proof of a spirit for you. There's a long history of people deciding that their own encounters are different, remarkable, and totally true, whereas someone else's encounters are none of those things. Unfortunately, many of the ghost stories I was told in childhood and adolescence are now lost to me. My memory of them has so degraded that I only remember bits and pieces of what I was told. Nonetheless, the stories that I've shared in this episode, I think, provide some explanation as to why I have maintained a fascination with creepy and spooky things over the years. I hope that you've enjoyed hearing them. Thank you for joining me. If you have heard a weird tale, have had a strange experience of your own, or know of a bit of local lore that should get a wider audience, please feel free to contact me at ghostthropology at gmail.com. That's G-H-O-S-T-H-R-O-P-O-L-O-G-Y at gmail.com. Also, Please visit the Ghostthropology blog for transcripts, show notes, and more information at kmmamedia.com. That's kmmamedia.com. Until next time, have a wonderfully spooky night. Spooky!